Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. I want to tell you about a brand new podcast on Earwolf. It's called Best Friends with Nicole Byer and Sashir Zameda. You probably know Nicole from her podcast appearances or from Nailed It on Netflix. And of course, you know Sashir from Saturday Night Live. Also, she's a friend uh, and she's so funny and she's so great. Best Friends is a podcast about best friendship. Simple as that. Nicole and Sashir chat with each other and other best friends and answer friendship questions from listeners. My best friend is Anka in Los Angeles. I've actually promoted her restaurants here on Fake the Nation, which I'll do again, Lemon Poppy Kitchen and Parsnip. They're so delicious. And if we had a podcast, we'd probably be talking about, I don't know, back episodes of Northern Exposure. You guys remember that show <laughs> from the 90s and early 80s, I think? Anyways, and and if you don't have one, like you'll have this podcast. Also, there's still time for you. You can just work on it. So find Best Friends in your podcast app now and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Fake the Nation, episode 152. Hello, hello. This is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we go show the baby to the parents in California. I am not actually in New York City, you guys, right now as you hear this. I'm visiting my parents. And I am your host, Nagin Farsad. <laughs> Did I say my name at all? Unclear. Anyway, 
Anyways, um, I am your host, Nikita Farsad, and uh, if I didn't already say that, and I am with my daughter, um, and I'm in Palm Springs, California. We're sort of like a Melissa and Joan River-style mother-daughter team, uh, only instead of asking, uh, who are you wearing, we're asking, where are you pooping? That's, uh, that's what we're doing. And we're going to kick things off by taking some of my favorite conversations out of the Fake the Nation vault for the auditory consumption of you, our dearest listeners. That's right. You're about to enjoy these previously recorded but never released conversations with the likes of Paul F. Tompkins, Rhea Butcher, Sarah Papalardo, John Lovett, Dan Taberski, and Aaron Jackson. And oh my God, I can't believe this lineup of individuals. So let us begin with topic number one. So for this segment, we read a piece in The Atlantic called The People Who Eat the Same Meal Every Day, and I strangely felt compelled to talk about it. And joining me uh, to talk about these mono-cuisined oddballs are two of my favorite comedians, you guys. It's Rhea Butcher and Paul F. Tompkins. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. Uh, Okay. So this is a really dumb topic. I recognize that. But what do you guys think of people who eat the same thing every day? And are you secretly one of those people? I feel like I get it. I totally get it. I could. I don't know how long I could do it, but I could mm-hmm. eat the same thing every day. I bet for a while. When I had an office job, I did pretty much eat the same thing every day. Because <clears throat> what was it? What was the food? Yeah. Um, I, uh, every morning I would, well, when I was riding my bike, it was much different than when I stopped riding my bike, but I would have like, I would have like an egg and like a vegetarian sausage patty. I would get on my bike. I would go to work. I had, I used to eat like yeah, bike these, food, Yeah, bike food, sourdough <laughs> crackers with cream cheese on them. And then mm. like vegetarian bacon. Wait, like I was eating a very specific, crackers with cream yeah, cheese Wasa on them? crackers with cream cheese on them. And then, yeah, you know, protein, fat, very limited diet. The person I was seeing at the time just found out they had diabetes one, so I was eating a very diabetic diet. Aww. Yeah. That's um, really kind. And then after that, I was eating a Starbucks sandwich every morning. We had broken up. And, uh, <laughs> I had like a, a Starbucks sandwich because there was a Starbucks in the basement. I got the same sandwich every day. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like this egg and cheese thing. It was really good, actually. Yeah. Thanks, Howard Schultz, 2020. <laughs> just kidding. I'm not. No, I'm just that's sarcastic. This is a comedy show. <laughs> Please don't take me seriously. My, when uh, I was in high school, my uh-huh. mother made me the same. She, she like... I liked this certain lunch meat. She made me these sandwiches um, and fro- like made a bunch of them and then froze them mm-hmm. so that I could take it out of the freezer. Yeah, meal prep. And I would take it to school and I could have the sandwich. Now- Wait, so it would it would thaw by the time you it was lunchtime That was whatever? the idea. <laughs> and for the most part, it did. It would be, though, soggy. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, that sounds so um, sad. And dry. There would be no condiments <laughs> right. on it. Oh, boy. And for some reason, I didn't know. I don't I don't know if, like, we didn't have a, a condiments. Like, I don't think we had condiments at school. I, I don't know. But I would eat this fucking dry, dry sandwich. <laughs> I did that for a oh. while, and I, I finally said, yeah, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I waited until they ran out, and then I. I <laughs> How many I did sandwiches did she make? Oh man, this was this was a few. This was like maybe a month of, wow. of dry sandwiches. Thirty sandwiches. Yeah, but wow. it's, that's funny well, that you oh, took yeah, you a yeah, month to say something. 20. 
it's, it's oh, I didn't because nice I didn't and... I didn't I didn't feel that it was my place to say anything, which is odd because I was not above <laughs> complaining. Did, did you feel condemned, Paul? I felt condemned. I was condemned, <laughs> condemned to sandwiches. Frozen dry sandwiches. I think uh, something yeah. about this article that struck me is most of the people in this article do very like repetitive and specific jobs mm-hmm. too. And I feel like when you repeat the same thing every day, it takes away choice. And sometimes freedom of choice is often debilitating. Absolutely. A prison. And you spend Absolutely. so much time in it. And then also one of the people in this article said it was helping her with her um like recovery from eating disorder mm-hmm. that like she's uh mindful eating. Mm-hmm. And so her eating the same thing every day allows her to have freedom from the thing she's eating. Um which I I found very fascinating. And like I think I like food. I think it's very cool. I like watching people cook, <laughs> all that stuff. But when you're just in a job that you go to every day like you might as sometimes you just want the whole day to kind of just go smoothly, you know, and and just having the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. You can count on it; it's there. You know, you like it. You're gonna keep eating it. Here we go. Let me say, um, I'm also on the record saying food is cool, um, <laughs> but also uh, whenever I've worked in an office, I hated lunchtime having yeah. to make that choice. Oh yeah, uh, and especially if it's like. The five places that are around you, you know, right. and here's the menu book and all that. I I was absolutely always happy when I caved and said, I'm just going to bring the same thing to work every day. I'm yeah. totally fine with that. Um, it I, I liked not having to think about it. I liked not having to think I, about I, it. Yes. I, yeah, I mean, the idea of like whenever – you know, there's a group text because you guys, I have friends. And sure. uh, whenever there's a group text that's like, where are we going to meet for dinner or brunch or whatever? It's I want to kill myself because <laughs> the tyranny of choice there is so exacting. Mm-hmm. And, and and for some reason, I feel like I'm the person in my group of friends that makes the choice most often. Like I take the lead or like I'm not ashamed to step in there and suggest a restaurant. And uh, but it also come i mean you know with with that kind of leadership um comes uh some failures you know where we've walked into a place and people are like this place sucks you know what i mean and i'm like fuck uh and so i i'm i've i i think that uh and i'm often like well we don't we shouldn't just go to the same fucking place but i think there is also something nice about uh you know being a regular like it's my favorite being a regular. thing on the planet because I, I was also yeah. gonna say that starbucks sandwich like i literally became friends with the people that yeah. worked in the starbucks because i like talking to people like i like having yes. a regular place to go and being like what's up and i don't care that somebody thinks i'm boring like i am boring yeah. sometimes it's really fun to be boring <laughs> to just be boring. It's hip to be square. It's hip to be square, <laughs> Huey Lewis, and the news. No, but there's something. I mean, you release endorphins when you're like, hey, Susan, Fred, how's it going? Yeah. The kids, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? There's definitely, you definitely get that. And you get that when you do the same fucking For thing sure. all the yeah. time. And also, and so, yeah. I would say dietary restrictions is a big part of it, too, because sure. I typically like go into a place and I'm like, do you have plain cheese pizza? Like, because that's I know I can eat that because <laughs> right. I've been a vegetarian my whole life. And when I was a kid, I would go places and not be able to eat anything. And so being able to eat the same thing predictably is like it just relieves a lot of pressure on my mind. Now, you'll ask this at any restaurant, right? Literally any restaurant, do you have, yes. Do you have plain cheese pizza? <laughs> yeah, it's like that TV you'll movie about Benny the trucker Hanna. that couldn't drive. Yeah, welcome to BF read. Chang's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you have plain cheese pizza? <laughs> the trucker that couldn't drive. Sometimes you try to make a reference and you drive. say the wrong thing, but it's funnier. 
<laughs> Trucker who could oh, oh, what shit. a TV movie. <laughs> it was a real struggle for him to be a trucker who couldn't he drive. He just people. sat in the front seat. <laughs> <laughs> he had one of those video screens that went by that yeah. made it look like he yeah. was driving. He was a functional um, non-driver. <laughs> <laughs> Carpool lane. <laughs> um, but you know what's interesting? One of the things I found interesting about the article was that uh, this food study scholar at NYU said that newness or difference from the norm is a very urban, almost postmodern quest. It is recent. It is mm. class-based. Uh, mm. Because, like, this conversation is ridiculous. Like, if we were in, uh, you know, uh, the the rice fields of Vietnam, like, in 1947 or whatever, not. you know. <laughs> we're not. So um, that's why we're having the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I like to judge all of my conversations based yeah. on whether or based not they on, would fly. Do we have a time the, machine? <laughs> I would love if we had a time machine and we went to the rice fields in Vietnam in 1949 and was like, do you bring the same thing to lunch every day? How do you feel about it? <laughs> like, Tell this me is what so your classes. cubicles are like. <laughs> no, it's so and in the history of time, the idea of having choice because like it's like in those old movies, right? People would just like walk into in those old movies that are talking about the Middle Ages or whatever, <laughs> which we yeah. and I'm probably even just referencing Game of Thrones and I don't even know it or something. I thought you were like, talking about Sword in the Stone. Uh which I don't know what that is anyway. I'm not <laughs> is that <laughs> It's a Disney movie. <laughs> oh, got you. Um, so, like in those, all of those movies, whether they're fantasy or about the Middle Ages, a person walks into a place and is like, "I'll take some food," you know. And it's like this general, you know. It's not like, mm. "Oh, why don't you refer to the menu?" And today our special is, you know. It's like I'll just have food, and then they throw at you like whatever it is they have. So that I think has been most of the history uh, of of time. And also, I'm acting like everyone was going to restaurant. In the Middle Ages, um, sure, yeah. <laughs> that also was not, uh, I think, a thing. Um, those travelers had to go to an inn, You're right? You know? Those travelers had to yeah. go to a place. Yeah, a place. Be like, um, how many in your party? Four. Here's a buzzer. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a buzzer. Right. And it was yeah. a, a raven. It's uh, a living. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the idea of like even having choice. So I guess what what I'm saying here is. Human uh, evolution suggests that we have wanted, we have not had choice. We've not even adapted to having choice. So the idea that some people, by the way, and the statistics are 17% of British people uh, in a survey had eaten the same lunch every day for two years. Um, another survey said that a third of Brits ate the same lunch every day. Uh, I don't know why the British are so interested in this particular form of questioning on their surveys. Um, but I think the base, basic human condition suggests that we want to eat the same thing every day because we've just been doing it since the beginning of time. And mm-hmm. only, you know, only since Howard Schultz uh, introduced <laughs> multiple sandwiches the great at Starbucks. billionaire. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Have we person had of as means. much toys. Person, yeah. of, person of means, person, person of, of means. wealth. Uh, may he lead us into a uh, new era (laughs) scalding hot death (laughs) which by the way for a place that has so many options of coffee I have disliked almost all of the the options yeah I have a, actually I have a gift card in my purse, you guys. As it was like a Christmas gift card situation mm-hmm. that I'm I've been at at pains to utilize uh, mm-hmm. because it just I w- don't 
you know, by choice walk into mm-hmm. Starboo's. You know what you should do, Nagin? You what? should give it to someone who's like asking for food. There oh yeah, no, that's a great idea. And because actually. they could they could buy food, they could buy whatever they want with it. Obviously, you're not going to tell them yeah. what to buy. Then they would also have access to the bathroom. Oh, True. you know what? I uh, I'm. This headgum podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit! Even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh well, because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code HEADGUM at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Today's show is sponsored by Pros. This is kind of, I feel like, you know, I'm on some sort of Lord of the Rings journey trying to figure out skincare. And I feel like this customized skincare line is really got my name on it. Basically, every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skincare, I tried the skincare just recently, is made to order and it's personalized. It's got a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs, like specifically you. And then the way they do it is you take this great, like in-depth quiz, basically. They analyze over 80 factors for a complete view of your life, your beauty goals, Um, Like I have oily skin that's also dry, which is just a fun little conundrum. I live in New York City. Like we've got these four seasons. My my face gets weird during seasonal shifts. Um, I all of these things I got to kind of talk about in like in answering the questions. Um, the other fun thing was they asked us at the end, like, do you like a creamy type of moisturizer or like a less creamy kind? And I was kind of like, mm, I think like less creamy. And they were like, that's fine. Like you can do that, but we think for your skin type, creamier is better. And I never knew that. So I love that there's so much kind of personal information that goes into creating this. I got my stuff in the mail very quickly after I got a wonderful serum. Like I said, this very creamy moisturizer. Um, And this also very just delectably creamy cleanser that just kind of feel like I, I think it's possible that I've been washing my face with just like harsh harshness. 
like many years because when I saw this cleanser, I was like, oh, is this what it's supposed to feel like? It's supposed to feel like a little bit of a delight on my face. That's not what I've been doing. So I don't know, guys. And here's the thing. You don't have to take my word for it in a third party, double blind dermatologist supervised controlled clinical study, um, which is like the gold standard for research studies. Pros prove that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives, which just sort of totally makes sense on a just logical level if you think about it. Just it makes common sense. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% of your first subscription order at pros.com slash fake the nation um, will be taken off. That's pros.com slash fake the nation. You get your free consultation and 50% off your one of a kind formulas. Uh, Again, that's pros.com slash fake the nation. Go and get your just super personalized, luxurious skincare products and hair care products. That's what I'm going to try next. So pros.com slash fake the nation. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, education app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, that tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. I'm embarrassed that I haven't already just done that. No, Uh, don't be embarrassed. You You didn't think about it. You're no, stressed look, you're about Starbucks than so, me. No, I'm not. I'm not and at we all. all know I just it had now. a thought and I shared it. That's it. <laughs> no, I'm not your, any better than you. Is your look, name? Look, I'll be accepting rage tweets about this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you should have thought about that. The floor is open for rage tweets. <laughs> are, are, is your your name's not associated with a with a gift card, right? It's just got a dollar amount on it, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, unless yeah. you it's like, like whoever, register it or right. whatever. But that's only for if you lose Who? it. Right. 
I mean, I've, I've never, I, I think only maniacs would register a gift card. <laughs> like, who spends yeah. the time? Absolutely. Maniacs. You know what I mean? Yeah, for You're sure. just like a horrible person would do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I will also be accepting rage tweets on that statement. Uh, so please make sure you reference this particular part of the segment. All right. Now we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we've got funny liberals talking about why liberals are funny. <laughs> Everyone has a family member who always tells the best stories. StoryWorth makes it easy and fun for your loved ones to share their stories with weekly emailed story prompts or questions you've never thought to ask. At the end of the year, you'll get these stories bound in a beautiful hardcover book. StoryWorth is a great way to stay in touch and bridge geographic distance by providing lively discussion topics for the whole family. Learn about your relatives with questions that elicit entertaining, surprising, and sometimes moving responses. Then pass on treasures to your children and their future families with a beautiful keepsake book. Write stories and upload photos by email on the web or in the app and invite an unlimited number of people to receive them. Everything is private and secure. Your control who sees your stories. It's also a great gift for Mother's Day or Father's Day upcoming, y'all. So strengthen your family bonds and get to know your loved ones in a whole new way with StoryWorth. Guys, these books are really beautiful. Like, I feel like we've come to a time where like gift giving is I mean, you could buy a shirt for your dad and he'll be happy about it or whatever. Or like you could get something like this that's super meaningful and he'll keep forever and like look at and in times of woe and feel mushy feelings. And I feel like that's kind of what people want now, like out of a real gift. You know what I'm saying? So for $20 off, visit storyworth.com slash fake when you subscribe. Again, that's storyworth.com slash fake. You'll get $20 off. It's just a really great idea, a really great gift. The Citizenry is a socially conscious home decor brand that partners with master artisans across the globe to bring time-tested craftsmanship to the modern home. The Citizenry creates exclusive collections sold direct to you online without the middleman markup. Uh, with pieces crafted in over 15 countries, their collections are designed to highlight the unique materials and craft traditions of each destination. Their iconic lumbar pillow comes in bold designs reimagined and inspired by the geometric patterns used by the Zapotec tribes of the Oaxaca region in Mexico. Each pillow is hand-dyed and takes a talented weaving cooperative 3D days to make, all made start to finish in a fair trade environment. The Citizenry donates 10% of proceeds directly back into artisan communities around the globe to help these entrepreneurs take their businesses to new heights. You guys, I have one of these lumbar pillows, and it's got this beautiful, colorful like design on it that's actually like very me, and uh, and it goes like you know it's like I, it, it the lumbar pillow goes like almost all the way across the bed. It's super cool. Uh, I think it looks great. It's like just also nice to lean against. So yeah, like I love it. For a $50 gift voucher towards your first purchase of $200 or more, go to citizenrypodcast.com and enter fake. That's citizenrypodcast.com, C-I-T-I-Z-E-N-R-Y, podcast.com. The code is fake, and you'll get a $50 gift voucher toward your first purchase of $200 or more. Their stuff is totally beautiful, so go do it. Welcome back. Let's not waste any time and let's move right into topic number two. 
For this next topic, I'm joined by John Lovett and Sarah Papalardo. Hey, guys. Hey. Hi. Um, and to and what I wanted to talk about was – sorry, let me see where I was. Uh, yeah. I uh, So, you guys, I have long complained that I can't get fun Republicans on this show. It's very hard. Like, who are they? Where are they? Like, you know, why aren't there more of them? Uh, I have never understood why conservatives don't have the same pipeline of, like, comedians and TV shows um, and just uh, funny cartoons. Like, they just don't. So my question is – why? Like, why is that? Let's just solve that today. Um, and uh, so just at a very basic level, why aren't conservatives as funny as liberals? I mean, I, I, I don't have like an overarching theory, but I definitely know of the ones I know in my family. I could tell a, a long, nuanced joke about like the state of society today, and I could mention a penis in it. And at the end, my aunt would be like, why'd you have to mention that? That wasn't nice. Like, there's just this focus on, like, what's happening and not what something is about that constantly is a refrain. And also, even um, with reductress posts, we'll get a lot of conservative reply guys being like, this is fake. (laughs) Like saying that satire is fake, like they've just discovered that this isn't real news and are are bragging about it instead of realizing it's satire. That's also kind of by strange. Way, yeah, by the way, uh, Sarah is the founder, co-founder of Reductress, um, a site that everyone should read uh, because it's very funny. Um, so you, you have like a particular experience with that, that like conservatives are just not getting that there's a joke happening. Yeah, yeah. We, we did a post before the election that was like, if Trump wins, I'm moving to Alaska. Mm-hmm. And there were uh, tons of conservative men were just like, this is fake. The author should be fired. Like a guy wrote a whole think piece about like what's wrong with the world based on this piece. And there just does seem to be like a lack of like understanding and any or any kind of irony. <laughs> but well, John, do you have any uh, initial thoughts? I do. I think one issue is I think there are conservative comedians, but they think and we treat them as if they're liberals. That act that that one of the consequences of there not being a home for, for lack of a better term, cosmopolitan conservatives, conservatives who believe in limited government, love Ayn Rand, but don't mind gay people. The Ann Coulter conservative, if I, I can say that. I don't mm. even think I would include her because she's so toxic on immigration. Mm. I mean, I, to me, it's like there really isn't a, a big representation of this. I mean, I think you would – it's the kind of person that would say – it's it's like what Howard Schultz would say, right? I'm, I'm fiscally conservative and socially liberal, which has come to mean moderate but actually means in any other part of the world conservative. And so because there's no home for libertarian-minded, right – Right, right-ish people who are not so enamored of racial politics and racial grievance. People like I maybe would include like some of you know. I think Bill Maher sometimes falls into this category. Um. I think there's a lot of comedians. There's a lot of um, white guy comedians that take on PC culture. They might even consider themselves Democrats or liberals, but actually, what they have are conservative politics, and they don't have a home. And because they know gay people, and because may, because. Identity, and they smoke pot. And they smoke pot. And identity issues tend to animate us, especially those who are well off, more than 
economic ones. They consider themselves liberals and and then just can't stand either party. Yeah, I think that's interesting because, like, th- that is definitely the, the chunk of conservatism that understands irony. Like, they understand, like, the construct of a joke, but— I think that identity politics is exactly where their liberalism stops. And just like the general idea that like we have at, at Reductress that we never you know make the victim uh, the butt of a joke. Like that's there. These people who are anti-identity politics or whatever don't seem to have that target in mind or even just that like principle in mind. Yeah, I mean, I think like Ricky Gervais, right? Mm-hmm. There's somebody who's, I think a lot of his stand-up kind of goes both ways. Sometimes I think it's, would, it's the it's a set of jokes that would work in front of the Daily Show audience that would work for the Reductress audience, and then there are, are ramblings about trans people comparing them to monkeys, and mm-hmm. you're like, I don't like this. This doesn't feel like it's part of my world. That's because it's conservative humor that works for people who think they're conservative or don't think they're conservative. But either way, it works for them. Right. Um, the Psychology of Popular Media Culture uh, published new research that kind of tries to explain why this happens. And um, they they tie it to the need for cognition, um, which is a psychological term that explains the enjoyment of thinking or analyzing a problem. Um, and basically, they in this study, they showed that liberals have more of the need for con- cognition. They enjoy thinking through a problem, whereas conservatives don't necessarily have that. So if they're, if we're dealing with something that's multi-layered, like satire, liberals like to like think it through and get to the bottom of the if it's meaning. Whereas conservatives are like, why is this joke happening? Um, and the same and the same holds true for um, for sorry, what's the word? Irony and exaggeration um, that um, conservatives are like, why is this exaggeration happening? Like, they just don't enjoy that kind of joke at all. They don't see the necessity of it. Yeah, I don't. uh, This is a tough one because I still feel like we're kind of, this is a different way of saying like Republicans are dumb. And I know that. Right. And And it's very awkward. Yeah, this this is like apparently a legitimate study. I don't know. And it feels awkward to say because it also makes it feels like it feels a little bit like I'm saying like conservatives all have autism and Mm. they don't understand like feelings or whatever, which Mm. is not uh, I mean, you know, obviously I'm not saying these things a study is saying them, but (laughs) it felt weird to even read about it, didn't it? I also I am very skeptical of anything. I'm very skeptical of this kind of study because it like there are things that are objective, like yeah. what's going on in your brain during a scan, and other things are quite subjective, like how you identify your politics. Like I think of how the word evangelical has mm. changed so dramatically, right? It, it originally described a set of people with a set of beliefs, but as politics absorbed the term, it came to become a token for a set of political values, which is why you can have evangelicals support people like Donald Trump. So I am I find those kinds of conclusions around the suspect suspect i just and i don't know i don't know the study but it's just my instinct is to be suspicious of anything that makes that broad of conclusion around something as subjective and changeable and malleable as political self-identity right because even irony itself is so culturally specific and is just like way more appreciated in the states and in the uk and australia than anywhere else in the world so to use that as like a global identifier of western liberalism like whatever that means yeah it's it's suspect right and the other thing that was like maybe you know um 
not great about the study was that like they they said it had people listening to jokes that were like uh, that were delivered by like a guy sitting behind a desk which kind of seemed like the daily show mm. <laughs> and so i think for some respondents it cuz like i don't like the daily show and now this guy is sitting behind a desk and delivering jokes like the daily show so there's a little so there so they could have been you know basically messing up their own study. They're triggered. Yeah. yeah, yeah, in that way. Um, but I did find it interesting, uh, you know, this attempt at, at, at explaining this divide. It still doesn't explain, you know, I, I, I'm this, there's still the outstanding question of, like, why haven't they built their own pipeline of, of media? It just, unless it's happening and I have no idea, like, it's, it, but it's not really happening. Yeah, it's not. I mean, look, I, I don't, I, I think I think it's hard to say. I also think part of it is w- if you want to be a successful person in comedy right now, uh, the people that are hiring the places that are making things, like they are right. liberal. liberal. They just are. They're not just even, they're not even liberal. They are liberal in a very specific kind of way. Mm-hmm. Like there's a very um, homogenous quality to the voice of liberal politics generally right now. I yeah. think that's in part a result of feeling threatened. and And I think you feel bristling of that from the right, uh, which is why I think you see people like Howard Schultz deciding that they're going to do something, even though there's no appetite for it outside of like elites, elite conference goers. And then you see a bristling in it from the left of people that support Bernie Sanders and are constantly mocking the kind of liberal comedy that has currency right now. So, you know, I don't know. And it's funny I don't know, like, I, d- <laughs> <laughs> I shared an article um, that was from 2017. So it was like probably right after the inauguration or something, this article in, uh, I don't remember, it was like USA Today or something. And the article was just like, there's going to be, you know, uh, a backlash from conservatives for all of this liberal um, comedy, you know, like there's only so much of the John Olivers and Samantha Bees that we can handle, and conservatives are going to start coming up with their own and just wait and see what happens. And if and if you're not playing to um, the vast, you know, uh, red uh, popular, you know, red state population, you you know, you're going to be sorry. And the interesting thing is now looking at that article that's two years old is that did not happen at all. Like yeah. nobody was trying. I mean, there's um. I think there's some like there's some like narrative shows like some sitcoms that might be like we're on a farm or whatever that's like somehow maybe fake addressing the Midwest. I don't know. <laughs> like Tim Allen. Tim Allen is a conservative. He has had yep. successful sitcoms on the air for years. And some of this doesn't get lumped into that. I, I think you have somewhat, you know. Like you go look at Netflix, Netflix's list of stand-up specials, and a few of those are going to be the kind of. It's never going to be called conservative, but it's going to be something. Some it's going to be a guy, the cable guy, or whatever, or even like more subtle, just of a guy standing in front of you, like, can you can you believe these kids today? Like that, the kids today is conservative. That is conservative. A lot of what Louis C.K. did was in some ways conservative. So I I just think that because our politics are so toxic and because Republican politics specifically has gone so far off the rails, it's just hard to actually sort people into groups because nobody wants to be, a, nobody nobody who lives in cities and is part of comedy, nobody wants to be called conservative, but they are, they don't like it. They don't even want to maybe admit it to themselves, but they're conservatives. Well, and I, I think the there's um, the other thing about maybe do we not tire of it as liberals, that there's so much material that's addressed to us as liberals. Um, 
And I, I hope not. Mm, yeah. We both got we both yeah. got a lot riding on this. Oh yeah, hey, <laughs> ride this wave. <laughs> um, because I do wonder, like, have we reached a saturation point? In a in a way, but no. I mean, there's always something new to be said. It's just. I think something about the platforms that we consume tend to make us repeat the same ideas over and over again, and it does get a little stagnant. But um, I think that the people who are doing really good work are still, there's still room for them to say something new, and they are. But yeah, I mean, there's still a little bit of like a liberal echo chamber in comedy that like you need to work twice as hard to get out of. And I, I think one of the things that happens with conservatives is when they make fun of liberals and like I've been on uh, conservative radio shows before and, you know, and I try because it's like my whole thing is like put me, you know, let me perform in red states, like put me in front of conservative audiences. I enjoy it. I think it's interesting. And sometimes it's great. And then sometimes I get eaten alive, right? Mm. <laughs> and uh, my Twitter feed is relentlessly attacked. And and I think one of the differences is, you know, sometimes I th- I'll hear a thing that it might be funny. And I can't even give you an example of one I'm trying to think because there's not that many that are like just legitimately funny. But then most of it is really just telling me I'm a libtard or whatever, like just mm. mean, like my 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 physique and my voice or my whatever, like, you know, they're just attacks. They're mean. There's nothing funny about them. Like I would almost appreciate it if they were funny. Um, but and I think part of that is that liberals do a really great job of mocking themselves, you know. So for as much as we dish it out, we're also making fun of our, you know, uh, gender neutral bathrooms and we're making fun of our like we're, we're very self-critical constantly. Right. We had Portlandia. Exactly. Exactly. I don't. Yeah, I don't imagine Jacob Wool will be making fun of himself anytime soon. Right. And so, so I think that's part of it that makes, you know, because if there is a conservative out there that's funny, I would watch it. Mm. You know what I mean? I would consume that media. I, I also think part of it, though, is. It's easy to be. It's easy to be critical of yourself in a safe space of a community of liberals laughing together. You know, I think that, yeah. and and that the, and so the, that the fact that there is this giant apparatus, you know, we don't have a right wing propaganda machine, but the comedy machine is, is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think we feel safe inside of it and quite powerful inside of it and comfortable enough inside of it to make fun of ourselves. I mean, I think Veep does that really well. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Veep often will come at you with a surprisingly conservative joke. And I, and a good, and I'm, I, I think that's good. I think it shows a kind of, it's why the show was so excellent and so surprising at times because it was willing to go really hard in a lot of different directions. Um, but the right has no equivalent of that. They just have their they have their anger. I mean, part of this is like we just operate on different ways. You know, for the right, you know, they are animated by um, by anger. They're animated by fear. I think that's the nature of their politics, and that's not even. I mean, that is it's it's a vice of their politics. But if your politics is around. Uh, uh, um, you know, nationalism and closing the borders and kind of protecting what's yours and all of that that goes into the under the under that undergirds conservative politics. Hate and fear are going to animate your base on the left. 
we're different. Inspiration matters to us and humor matters to us. It's just that we're animated by different things. So I think maybe that's also just yeah, part, part of, it. of it. Yeah, like it's like the Rachel Maddow versus the Rush Limbaugh. You know, it's like she's like a genteel person that likes to reflect, but then still likes to get a little worked up, you know, whereas Rush is like yelling, you know. I will say I read I try to read Jonah Goldberg's newsletter. It's a conservative newsletter, and I try to read it every week in part because it's one of the it's something that is so clearly written by a conservative for conservatives. And it feels like a community newsletter of conservatives. And I think that it's not a coincidence that it's funny for conservatives inside of there. And I do think some of the funniest things I've ever read about Democrats I've read in, in that newsletter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I obviously don't agree with his politics and and and. I don't agree with the the world he'd want to build, but I'm glad I read that every week and I do see what it's like because maybe part of humor is feeling safe enough to be funny too. Yeah, and they yeah. Are, that's what there's such a um a drive and a zeal to winning and power in their media that where's the jokes? But in a place where he's just sort of sitting back and saying, "Here's what I saw this week," it's a little bit more chill. Right, right, Some right, jokes right. managed to find their way in. Interesting. Okay, I've got to check that out. Um, all right, you guys. Uh, you know. Let me know what you think on all of the social media platforms um, or yell at me on the street. That's the best one is when you just see me on the street and just yell me your opinions. And now let's move on to our final topic. That is topic number three. A new study found that 13 Reasons Why, um, which is a show on Netflix uh, about a teenager who commits suicide was associated with a 28.9% increase in suicide rates among teens. Um, And to talk about this phenomenon and the larger issue of accountability, we have with us Dan Taberski. Hey, Dan. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And Aaron Jackson. Hello, hello. (laughs) I know. Totally a dark subject. Totally a dark subject. The fact that somebody would bring me in to talk about this (laughs) is just terrifying. Sorry. That's going to make kids commit suicide. Okay, well, okay. Have you guys seen the show I have not or I, have I, not. I haven't read the book or seen the show or... no I mean I know a little bit about it yeah same I saw the f- entire first season did, did you, you like think? it um, I heard it's quite compelling yeah actually was into it mm-hmm. and I actually th- I mean it's interesting because as an adult well, I don't have any suicidal ideation mm-hmm. thoughts so I don't it's hard for me to like comprehend what it's like to sit in those in that skin and yeah. watch the show from my perspective it felt like oh this is a great starting point for why suicide is terrible you mm-hmm. know but it's not but that's not what happens right, right? like right. and even uh, I was reminded by reading some of the the articles on this, suicidal um, contagion has been around forever. Mm. Like in 1774, there was something called the Werther Effect, um, which was a rash of suicides followed by the publication of Ger- Goethe's Goethe, Goethe's novel, uh, The Sorrows of Young Werther. Which is such a beautiful name for a book, isn't it? The Sorrows Sorrows of Young Young Werther. But it then makes me think of the hard caramel candies, um, (laughs) actually. Which came out because of this book. Yeah. So, so it's interesting that suicidal. I mean, so this this contagion effect is not anything new. Yeah. Um, but the show was actually like very compelling, right. you know, for like YA media. Totally. Uh, do you feel like 
What do you think should happen yeah. in a situation like this? Who has a responsibility it's to do tough. what? It's I do remember. Um, I remember when there when there was backlash when the show came out. Before even that, it was like, oh, this is a suicide show. This is bad for teens. But I remember thinking, like, aren't there all? And I'm not trying to reduce it, but it's like suicide porn kind of things that, like, that stuff has been. It would like tug at the heartstrings, like that. I feel like has been around. And then that article since like the 1770s mm. and probably before then. So I don't know, but it, it I do think there it can be irresponsible. Like Stephen King has a a pen name he used to before he got discovered, and he would write darker books. And he wrote one about a school shooting in the 70s, and then he. Asked for it to be removed, removed after <laughs> Columbine, and it's not—it's not in print. It hasn't been in print anymore. And granted, he's like a fucking multi-millionaire, so well, he no can skin do off shit his like back. that. Yeah. But still, well, like ne- Netflix, Netflix is, is also a multi- is God, so yeah. like they—they they don't need to make this show. So I, it, there are. You do have some sort of responsibility. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a big deal if you're going to take that serious right. issue and and know that that teenagers can be influenced by that. I also can't. But I, I will say a couple of things. The study doesn't. The study doesn't have anything to do. There, there was a rate of the the, the rate yeah. of suicide suicide increased at that time when the show premiered. But no, there's no proof that any of those kids actually watched that show. That's and there was true. another study mm-hmm. showing that kids did watch that show and who watched the whole second season actually had a lower rate of suicide. And so I do think yeah. it's irresponsible right, the then, way these headlines but, are but being if they, written. If they stopped in the middle uh, before finishing season two, they had a higher risk of suicide. That same study right. showed. I, so, I, so, do th- I do think it's interesting that this show premiered in March of 2017. Is that right? Uh, I think so, yeah. Uh, and and that's the thing that they're pulling out about what's happening in the world that's going to make people commit suicide. Yeah, I will not. say, at the beginning what of 2017. Else, what else happened at the beginning of 2017? I don't recall that year. Dude, no <laughs> joke. How are you feeling in 2017? Yeah, that's true. Like, true. a lot of really intense things are happening in the world. And, and I do think it's a little irresponsible to pin it on this one show. Sure. I think it's an important conversation to have. Um, I do think some people have been writing about it in a way that I think is irresponsible and that they're saying, like the New Yorker is writing, like, why they wrote in a caption, like, why did why did Netflix choose to ignore the the concerns about doing a show like this when nobody says that they ignored it? They may have considered it quite well. They may have talked to experts. Mm-hmm. They may have really considered how to how to do a show like this. That that in a lot of ways, you know, I mean, Catcher in the Rye, like teenagers. There, yeah. There's books that move teenagers, and 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 talking about things that are sensitive is not necessarily a bad thing if you do it in a responsible right. way. Right, and it's how weird would it be like to we well we can't make art about suicide. Yeah, you know, right, it, right, it, it's right, dynamic, right, right. it's dramatic, it's and it's it's fascinating. You know, like it's uh, so it is, and I it could make a conversation. Isn't Dear I, Evan Hansen a suicide play too? And that won the Tony, right? I have not seen. I haven't seen it either. I haven't seen Spo- it either. Maybe spoiler alert. I know. Or, or it's like about a guy in a stamp collection. Literally, yeah. I have yeah, what you're yeah. saying sure. is like. I'm pretty sure it's like a kid who, you know, it's like about him and then at the end he goes. Oh, okay. It's yeah. a suicide play. So um, there, are, there are responsible ways to do this. And it sounds like that Netflix did do a lot of, like they, they aired a little special before the show aired and say if you're thinking about suicide. And like, they had the disclaimer, which yeah. no one cares about, but like they But it's do important s- to say it. it. Like this is yeah. Right. They sensitive. have the actor coming out and saying it. The one who uh, in the, the whose character commits suicide, right? Um, That's smart too. Other studies suggested that news coverage of suicide plays a role in roughly ten percent of suicides by people younger than twenty five, um, either by giving uh, these people like the idea to commit suicide or by giving them like 
uh, ways of how to do right, it. Right. Or like emotion, um, the resonance, like to uh, yeah, seeing like, that out there just sort of might push somebody to do it, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's interesting. Like, can you recall your teenage years feeling more moved by shit like that? Like, uh, Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, so, sad stuff. And my, like, mine was like music more because I I would have been against, I was like very against things that were aimed targeted at my age uh, group. I was uh-huh, like, you know, uh-huh. that's fucking that sucks. But right. like sad, like really sad, like yeah. Elliot Smith style, right. who did kill himself, right? Like yeah. that kind of music. Woo, right? Give it and to it, me. Sad. And then so like the the uh, the suicide of someone like that, mm-hmm. according to these studies, would have been very yeah, yeah, yeah. influential to right. the Chris suicide Chris Cornell rate. committed suicide around the same time that the show premiered, right? So, I mean, yeah, is but that... He's, it's funny, too, because when they mentioned that Chris Cornell thing, I was like, yeah, but he's not, like, a uh, current... Yeah, but I Does think people matter? pick... I, guess I, don't, I don't know. know. People pick up things. Right, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> um, so what is it about... I don't about? even know who Chris Cornell is. <laughs> you pulled yes, his I name Soundgarden. out. Soundgarden. <laughs> Soundgarden. I read the article. I read the article. Black hole, son, yeah. <laughs> won't you come? I'm going to commit suicide um, now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you guys, uh, but like when you're... I think, yeah, what's interesting is like when you're a teenager, I think the other... Being, you were saying like things, media that was like geared toward your age group, you thought was like dumb. Yeah. I also think disclaimers about media geared towards your age. Like, there's something right. about the disclaimers that Netflix posted that felt a little like, who's listening to that? Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Or it, it makes you want it more. You're like, oh, this is bad. Right. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, like exactly. the porn thing. Like, exactly. every no fucking kid there's is like, I'm like, under 18. I, I, I'm, you yeah, know, like. Yeah. Well, it's a little, because those disclaimers felt a little bit like, don't talk down to me, you motherfucker. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Although I will say, like, if it's the, if the, that sounds, I haven't seen it, but it does sound effective that, the, that if the whole show is based around this girl who committed suicide it, and then yeah. the girl comes out that's smart and you sort of process it in your head she's not dead yeah she's yeah, here yeah. and she's real and she's telling me not to do that i think it may sound hokey but i, I do think it's important to remind people who are feeling desperate like e- even if it even if it reaches nobody but one person right it's hokey but like i think the other thing i mean i and this is not something that the study necessarily addressed but like is just the online stuff, like being a teenager and living online, yeah. you know, like the three of us l- probably didn't have right. Facebook no. or whatever, Instagram, Snapchat no. when we were um, in school. And so I wonder, like, you know, if that somehow exacerbates these rates, just uh yeah, I just wonder what, what effect that stuff yeah. is having. Yeah, I mean, social media, it, double-edged sword, like, if you're in a, if you feel um, ostracized, you can find a community online, right. but also you can be ostracized online. And so it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to say, like, yeah. I'm sure it has been wonderful for some teens who have found a community of like, oh, one day I'll get out of my horrible fucking town or where, where, whatever yeah. this group of people and there's a bigger world out there. But I'm sure for some people it's like shrunk them down and made them can feel worse. Can I just worse. say about that, though? It's funny. Like, I, I think about my own high school and where the people who couldn't find a community anywhere joined the drama club. <laughs> Hello, me. Right, thank you, <laughs> Nikki Farsad, <laughs> vice president of the theater company. Thank you very much. Uh, president of the debate team. Um, okay. And, a joiner. Uh, uh, <laughs> and, so, and so I think the, the idea I, – I, I wonder, again, because I didn't grow up in this era, yeah. but I feel like 
being a member of the drama club is more satisfying than being um you know on a in a subgroup room yeah. or whatever chat room oh god that's that's not <laughs> real chat that's room, not yeah. real yeah, <laughs> that's not exist. even a thing they do anymore <laughs> it's like being, being in a chat room yeah. <laughs> being in a typewriter right. <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah so i feel i feel like uh what i, I wish and this is not something that, you know, 13 Reasons Why I talked about, but I do wish that there was maybe more of a, like, what to, do, you know, where are you going to get your joy? You're going to mm-hmm. get it from human interaction. You know what I mean? Um, oh, no, that was a callback. No, it's okay. We're recording this during Ramadan, and one of my goals <laughs> is human interaction. Perfect. Um <laughs> But yeah, so like, where do you get your joy? And, um, and I think, you know, but you're right. Like, why, you know, what would, if we're going to say, like, what if Netflix, I think it would be, make sense though, if Netflix is like, okay, it's coming back for a third season, but it's not going to come, but that's it. But she's not really dead. She comes back. Oh, yeah, she's in. She like pops out of a closet. <laughs> it was like just it was kidding. A that was bad. Yeah. <laughs> it was a dream. Um, yeah. Well, do you? I mean, what if? Uh, okay. What if there was a media that depicted really, really gory murders? Uh, are actual? Which there is. You know, actual documentary video footage of like beheadings and stuff. Like yeah, that. there was. Anybody ever see Faces of Death? That was like a really big thing when I was growing up. It was like bootleg VHS copies of Faces of Death. It was it was just murders and dead people just and like at one after the other. Like uh, it was just a montage ways. of murders. Yeah, uh, it was it was it was some of it was snuff from what I remember. Some of it was like just images of dead people that you wouldn't normally see. It was really upsetting. That sounds horrifying. Now, yeah. what if Netflix? No, it's terrible. Put that up. That's irresponsible. It's like that. What? what? <sighs> Wasn't that senator that was, is it a senator? It was like when they were talking about pornography. And he I goes, don't know what I, it I is. I know yeah. it when I see it. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, that yeah. where it's like, what is art versus what is like, yeah. oh, you can't do that. That's not art. It's yeah. like, I know it when I see it. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what. The- well, because it's interesting. Like, you know, we've talked about this on the show before of like Facebook moderators having to look at a bunch of like murders oh and then determine, yes. oh, this is not appropriate for Facebook or whatever. Yeah. Um, and those people all. So there's so, by the way, <laughs> so much murder that they the moderators have to watch. I know. Like every day. I also am just shocked by how much murder gets filmed. Yeah. Like literal murder. I mean, yeah. you know, wow. I've never been around a murder. Hopefully I will never be around a murder. Right. Um, what would I, you know, but I don't know that my instinct would be to take out a camera. Anyway, I just think it's like really the whole thing is just shocking. So you're coming down, you're coming down anti on murder. <laughs> I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying I'm against. Hot day. Against. Um, so, okay, so you're basically, so, uh, but if if Netflix were to actually say no more of this show, we're pulling the show, um, would you find that reasonable or would you be worried about the slippery slope? I, I, I would applaud any decision. If they made their own decision to pull something based on evidence that, that scholars were, were presenting to them, I think that would be really responsible. But I also think that it's important that they consider what they're doing and move forward based on the merit of the work. And even yeah. though they're making money off it, it's, it's somebody's art. It's somebody's vision. And, um, and if they think there's still something to tell um, and they're doing it responsibly, why not? Yeah, I think I agree. I think um, you have to be careful when you're making 
like monetized art about a sensitive subject. But I mean, th- this country is certainly never careful about like violence depicted in yeah. films. Like mm-hmm. we don't give a fuck. And we have a crazy violent, like we have an insane gun culture, you know? Yeah. So it's like, but no one is talking about like, maybe we shouldn't have people just, sh- heroes just killing a hundred people in a movie, right. you know? But like, yeah, I mean, yeah. the interesting so, thing is like, what, like A Star is Born ends with a suicide, right? Like totally. nobody talks about Spoiler. that. <laughs> Spoiler. Oh my God, Dan, Jesus. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> it's, it's already happened. It happened a long time ago. It's it lost time the damn Oscar. It <laughs> yeah. lost. Um, yes, it does end in a suicide. And that's, yeah. I mean, and I, nobody the, kid, is, the same right. kids who are watching that, that show are and watching that. And that was a very popular movie. And I thought that that suicide... That felt like really unearned and fucking out of nowhere. Whereas in um, really to me, well, oh I thought God. the whole movie. Did we watch I, I have notes movies? on the movie. <laughs> um, but yeah. the, Let I me haven't get watched Bradley Cooper too. on the phone. You can just <laughs> yeah. tell him directly. Um, so, <laughs> I could see that take. I could see that point of view. I was like, okay, no, Act, here we go. Act three. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but, what was unearned is like them is was Gaga smashing the smashing the art afterwards because oh she was so God, angry. I know that was unearned. Poor Gaga. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she earned her Oscar though for that did. song. She Great really tune. She's um, okay, so I get no, but that's a really good point about that, that ending in a suicide, and yet we're not like looking at studies about how what that how that affected people. Yeah. And Although again, it's maybe not, we will. It's not causation. The, it's, it's association, not causation. The, the yeah. study is. You know, and there, there's a point where they put studies out to attach it to popular culture because they want to get attention for their work, too. And there's an irresponsibility to that that totally. I find suspect. Yeah, yeah. All right, you guys. Uh, and we I'm, solved it. I'm like on the fence. I mean, I can see the, you know, right. I can yeah. see pulling it. I can see keeping it. I can see all these arguments. And, and yeah, I I don't know. Uh, maybe I would, I would want more something baked into the actual show that would also influence teens in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Like, and whatever that is, I don't know. The experts know. I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, but yeah. baked into the narrative. Not like the the actor comes and does a PSA, yeah. you know, because that feels a little flimsy. Mm. Um, all right, you guys. Did you watch 13 Reasons Why? What do you think? Would you let your kids watch it? Would you let your kids watch it, by the way? I wouldn't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. I, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Maybe I'd watch it first, but oh god, oh, yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. kids are gonna p- kids yeah, need kids to read and it. see and feel things that move them. Okay, that's mu- like you said. It's Elliot Smith. It's music. Yeah. It's like that's what kids are doing. They're just like busting with all this right. emotion, adult emotion that they can't yeah, yeah. control and, and suppress yet. Yeah, they're built for them. <laughs> right, totally. You'll learn. You'll learn. <laughs> You'll learn. Bottle it. Yeah. Um- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, you guys, that's the end of the show. I wanted to thank you for listening. And I also wanted to thank you to the production team at Fake the Nation. That's our producer, Harry Nelson, our audio engineer, Jared O'Connell. Gabby Alter wrote our theme music. And Lily Fleshler helps with research. And you guys, you know I love hearing from you. I love hearing your voice faces. The face, the voice that comes out of your mouth hole. Um, and I love it when that mouth hole is giving me uh, topics that you want to hear us talking about guest ideas, I don't know, recipes, uh, you, you can leave us a voicemail at 347-770-4981 or you can drop us a comment at comments at fakethenation.com. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts because it helps people find the show. You guys, that's the, that's the end of it. I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>